Hi there, and welcome to this year's Z Jaipur Literature Festival's Roundup podcast. I'm Eloise, and we are now on day four of the festival, so I'll be bringing you all the highlights of today. It's like a news bulletin, but for stories. Fictional, non-fictional, historical, mythological, Z JLF has got it all. This podcast is powered by Audio Compass, an app with a ridiculous number of cool audio tours for neighbourhoods and monuments, so download it on your phones as soon as you can. We're giving away a free three-month subscription, so once you've got it on your phones, go to www.audiocompass.in forward slash activate, type JLF2017, that's JLF2017, and you're good to go. If you're at the festival in Jaipur, you can even check out the walks at the City Palace and Amir Fort. So we've got all of that to look forward to. Teamwork Arts produces the festival, which is celebrating its 10th birthday this year. India is also turning 70 this year, so a lot to get excited about. Up till now, I've forgotten to mention that every morning kicks off with a short music concert, mostly Indian classical, and I wanted to give you a taster of that. It really does feel a bit like the foreboding of the storm before the controversies and debates arrive. That was Debashish Day and fellow musicians. Speaking of debate, it wasn't quite a heated one, but the subject is undoubtedly divisive, that of Mahatma Gandhi. Janvi Prasada has recently published a graphic novel of the Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography. Janvi Prasada has recently made a graphic novel version of the Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography, Experiments with Truth, but she is very clear that the novel is not intended to persuade you in any way. We've put Gandhi on a pedestal today. And in our country, we tend to revere people who are on a pedestal, almost godlike. And when we do that, we distance ourselves from them and we, we don't want to touch that figure there. I just don't want to harp on the positivities of Gandhi. No, that's not my intention. 
uh, when I read the autobiography, the the first thing that came to me was he was such an ordinary man with such experiences of fears and failures and ups and downs in his life, right? He was not a picture of perfection uh, at any uh, given time. He was uh, full of prejudices. He was full of his fears. He was a uh, he was rather mean to his wife Kasturba. Uh, he was absolutely um, uh, I would say terrible to his children who he didn't send to school but but those are the things that I like about the individual that he has put it out for you to read and to judge him the way you want. If that is the case it's quite different from today you know we're always constantly manipulating our identities and our online projections of ourselves I mean this selfie even seems to have become a brand Hello, my name is Ankit Mittal. I am from Jaipur, from uh, by side Red FM. Actually, I am a uh, under trainee. There is a selfie booth, selfie zone. People are enjoying with selfies. Uh, we have here uh, all props uh, like uh, cap, uh, goggles, selfie sticks like that. Printed uh, props are. So, if you're around at the Z Jaipur Literature Festival, do go and get a selfie taken. Although technically, I'm not sure it. Can if it's taken by somebody else. Anyway, selfies aside, let's move on to someone who is definitely not a selfie candidate, Jack the Ripper. People have been speculating for decades about who this guy was, but Bruce Robinson, who directed With Nail and I, that cult British film, reckons he has cracked it. Sorry to go straight into it, but it's kind of necessary for the story. He eviscerated her, he cut her throat across, he took her entrails out and threw them over her shoulder. He removed every bit of silver and money from her body and ritualistically put it around her body as he had the previous woman. And he drew two compasses, this wild, vicious slashing and cutting, but these very controlled compasses on each cheek. This ripping open and cutting across the throat and removing metal was clearly a ritual. Was this a Buddhist thing? Is it a Hindu thing? Is it a Christian science thing? Is it a Freemasonic thing, the way these women are being killed? And indeed it was. We go back to the Freemasonic ritual of my throat being cut across if I reveal Masonic secrets, my entrails being hauled out and thrown over my shoulder, my body cut in two uh, and left outside the, the uh, city gates and all my silver and jewelry taken from my body. So now I had like a little root coming out of the, the ground that I knew that the Ripper was either a Freemason or pretending to be a Freemason. Who is, is he? Who is he? He's a man called Michael Maybrick. This is the most extraordinary part of the story. Michael Maybrick, who nobody now has ever heard of, was the most famous singer-composer of the 19th century. He composed a song called The Holy City, which was the biggest selling song in the whole of the 19th century. The man was extremely wealthy, extremely famous. And he was also a Freemason. But there was one thing that really convinced Bruce Robinson that Michael Maybrick was his man. The other thing that the Ripper did, and all these, these Ripperologists will tell you that all the letters that Jack the Ripper 
sent into the police. He taunted the police constantly. He called, he called what he did his funny little game. Uh, they will tell you that they're all forgeries, they're fake, but hoaxers can't send in random letters from all over the country with the same joke on the front because he used to write on these letters, sometimes in beautiful copper plate, sometimes in sort of Neanderthal scrawl, on Her Majesty's service, on these envelopes. Now, how would a hoaxer joking in Edinburgh be able to replicate what a hoaxer joking in Bristol was doing? And this was the reason they were allowed to say they were hoaxes, because how could one person be sending these letters from all over the country? Well, in the 19th century, with the best railway service in the world, somebody else who could be doing it is a concert performer who is moving from town to town to warble away to the audience and sing his songs. So one night he's in Bristol, the next night he's in Manchester, the next night he's in Leeds, then he's back to Edinburgh, then he's down to London. And I, I got on to this particular guy, Michael Maybrick, who was obviously a concert singer and a famous singer, famous composer, and I started to try and match the letters to the known dates of his tours in England, where he was singing. Here comes the Jack the Ripper letter from Manchester. Michael Maybrick was singing in Manchester that night. Here comes one in Bristol. Michael Maybrick was singing in Bristol. And it became, it became really quite startling. That was but, the moment in your book where I'd been thinking of steady on, this is a conspiracy theory. It's going a little bit nutty, quite honestly. And then when, when you got to that point, I was convinced. He does make a pretty compelling argument, you have to say. But before we can make our minds up, we'll have to read his book first. It's called They All Love Jack, Busting the Ripper, by Bruce Robinson. Meanwhile, up on the press terrace, Rishati Mukherjee, who's part of the ZJLF blog team, caught up with the mythologist Devdut Patanaik. He's recently published a book called Olympus, which tells the Greek myths as seen through Indian eyes. The Olympus showed me a world which is desperately trying to achieve something. And the tragedy when they realize that the achievement doesn't matter. Indian traditions, uh, epic, the Mahabharata Ramayana told me that life really doesn't matter anyway, but you still have to work and live your life and find meaning. See, the first of all, why should I aspire? Who made aspiration a good thing? The West has made aspiration a good thing based on the Greek myths. Greek myths, this whole idea of you have to do something in your life, you have to achieve something in life. This Olympic Games, the whole purpose of life is to win a game. That's a Greek concept. It is one of the many ideas that have made the world. Why has it become a universal idea? Why the burden on Native American tribes to achieve? You look at what has happened to Aboriginal communities around the world. They lived happily in the forest. They were living for thousands of years. One day you came along and said you should have ambition. And let's burn your forest down. Because now we have ambition. So development is important. And you're saying that you know it's a better way to live your life. This arrogance is because this this obsession that whatever comes from the West is good. Why should I have aspiration? Let me be complacent. Is it am I allowed to be complacent and bored? It's the cultural version of mansplaining, right? The West has told me how Indians think, this is how India is. And I'm like Nehru's discovery of India is based on what he read in his English in his in England. Um, Gandhi was educated in England. The founding fathers of India were all lawyers who were educated in England, and therefore they didn't they didn't know the Puranas. They don't know Atma Gyan. They don't talk about these things in their writings. 
this is the the tragedy of a cultural appropriation by the West. But this is the way life is. We always appropriate each other's ideas. What is cultural exchange? From one point of view, it is cultural appropriation. Cultural exchange and cultural appropriation and exchange are just political terms depending on convenience. It's like freedom of expression is good, but political correctness is the opposite of freedom of expression. So you can have freedom of expression, but if I say something that you don't like, you'll suddenly demand that I be politically correct. I'd never thought about it like that. But I guess that's the nice thing about literary festivals. You're just catapulted with so many ideas, some of which are just like completely turned on their head, or for you anyway. And then you have the tough job of going home and making sense of all these new concepts and notions. Or you just lie low for a year, let it all mull over, come back the next year, and the process just all starts again. On that note, I'll leave you with Sam Amadon out in the woods doing just that. This song is about how you might be out on a cold winter's night, you might head into the woods, maybe you bring a bottle of wine or head out into the woods, into the mountains, because maybe you're trying to find some sort of inspiration. You, you look around, but at a certain point as you get out there, the trees, the sun goes down and the shapes of the trees starts to emerge and they start to remind you of people you were trying to remember about or people you're trying to forget about. It's a form of inspiration you weren't intending. He and his wife Beth Orton performed at Clark's Amir last night together with Radistan Josh and the drummer from Inner Moja's band. Soulmate, I have to say though, with our funky Shillong blues really stole the show. I'm Eloise, this is the Z Jaipur Literature Festival and this podcast is powered by Audio Compass. Go to www.audiocompass.in forward slash activate and type in JLF2017 to get your free subscription. What is it, Banjo?
まで違いますちょっと待って。